to uh, 1 John 5, and we'll be beginning in verse 13 through 17. If I can get that PowerPoint up too, that would be um, awesome. 1 John 5, verses 13 to 17. Um, last week, we, we did make it down um, into to verse 15, um, but we were sort of uh, focused in on, uh, on a different purpose, a different purpose that God had for us. First, to show us that God has given many uh, testimonies to the reality of who Christ Jesus is, and then that by believing in him, we have eternal life. And that in having eternal life, we can experience our great God. So let's read these now, having a slightly different focus. Look, look, turning the diamond a little bit, if you will, to see more of God's glory and more beauty. So beginning in verse 13, John says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. And this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask and God will give him life to those who commit sins that do not lead to death. There is sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin that does not lead to death. Let's pray for a moment. Father God, as we've just sung these praises to you and acknowledge your greatness, acknowledge your glory. God, I pray that you would help us to know you as more than just facts in a book. That we could have a true relationship with you, God. That we would worship a person, not just facts. And that we would bring you great glory as we spread the majesty of your name and the salvation you offer in Jesus Christ to those around us. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Do you experience God? When you think about your, your daily, your weekly life, do you experience God? Do you tangibly, regularly encounter God? How about I put it this way? If someone were to ask you, how did you personally experience God this week? How would you answer? Would you have an answer? It is my suspicion. I don't know why my slides are going crazy. All right. It is my suspicion that, that many of us, if we're honest with ourselves and if we're honest with one another, we would say, well, I don't really experience God all that much. We might say, I, I, I'm involved in God's religion, Christianity, but I'm not really involved in a relationship with the God of Christianity. 
And so th- this, is, this is, I think, where, where John is putting his finger today in our spiritual lives. Do you, do you experience God? And the, the, the good news is that we can experience God. I'll show you these things uh, from, from John here. We can experience God, but, but not only that, because that can actually be frustrating. I can. Okay, cool. That can be frustrating. What John is going to do is he is going to give us one very practical way we can experience God, that any Christian can experience God. There are other ways, maybe even deeper ways we can experience God, but this is one very practical way. And I would even say the other ways of experiencing God won't happen nearly as easily unless we are doing this one. Today, John wants to talk to us about prayer. Prayer matters. And what we'll see is your prayer life will determine your experience of eternal life. You say, well, eternal life, what about God, experiencing God? Well, I want to show you quickly that that is one in the same we see there in 1 John um, 5.13, this is the, the first verse in our passage. I write these things to he, you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. And we talked about this at, uh, for, at length last week. This is a present possession. You don't have to wait until heaven to experience eternal life. You have it now. You say, well, what does that mean? I have eternal life. Like, that's pretty vague, right? Well, Jesus says, you see up there on the screen, John 17, 3, and this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Again, we talked about this last week, but that word know isn't the the type of knowing as in facts or truths about God. It's, it's an experiential word for no. It's gnosko. This is experiential. It's tangible. It uses your senses that you would know God, Jesus said. This is eternal life, that they know you, that they experience you. And so you put those two things together and you have, if you've trusted in Christ Jesus, his, his perfect sacrifice for your sins, the, the, the righteousness, the forgiveness, the sonship he can give you, The adoption, rather, sonship might sound bad to some of you. If you have that, you have eternal life now. And the essence of eternal life is experiencing God. This is eternal life, that they know you. So, we we see that. And I kind of, in my mind, work this out as a kind of a pyramid. You have at the bottom knowing you have eternal life, right? That's 1 John 5, 13. I write these things to you who believe that you may know that you have eternal life. And then John uh, 17, 3, sort of at the top. And this is eternal life, that they know you, that they experience you, God. And this, this right here, <clears throat> what you see there, I think is most people's experience of Christianity. We, we know we have eternal life, but we don't really experience God. And so what John is going to do for us today is he's going to answer the question, how do I get there? (laughs) How do I go from knowing I have eternal life to actually experiencing the God of my eternal life? John, again, is going to give us just one 
very practical way. Excuse me. <clears throat> Get a drink. John is going to give us just one very practical way we can experience God. But I don't want you to think this is the only way you should experience God. I think you'll experience God in obedience. I think you'll experience God in evangelism. I think you'll experience God in your trials. I think you'll experience God in your decision making. But John is going to give us this one way today, very practical and even, I would say, dependable, because we can all do it. Prayer to experience God. Your prayer life will determine your experience of eternal life. And I would say that this is not only quantity, how often you pray, but also the quality of your prayers. So what's that look like to experience God through prayer, to experience this eternal life, to, to leverage, to actually engage this eternal life to experience God? Well, John shows us first, we experience God in the act of prayer. We experience God in the act of prayer. That is, when we are actually praying to God, when we're saying the words even either with our mouths or with our minds, either way, if we're saying it with our hearts, we're talking to God. And in that act, we get to experience God. Verse 14, And this is the confidence that we have toward Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. Remember, this, this, this confidence is springing from what? Well, I'm just a confident person. No, it's springing from the fact that you know that you have eternal life. So if you know you have eternal life, this is the confidence you can have toward him. That if you ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Do you see that? If you have eternal life, when you speak to God, he listens. I mean, this is absolutely remarkable. By the way, this morning was already an answer to prayer uh, that uh, Pastor Dave put Isaiah 6 up there. I was going to use that in my sermon, but I didn't want to read the whole thing. But you already have. Like, I mean, it's just crazy to me. This is the same God that we're talking to. I mean, th this is, this is mind-blowing. The train of his robe fills the temple. There are seraphim. We're talking mighty angelic creatures. And even they before him cover their faces and cover their feet. And what, what, are, they, what are they doing? They're saying, holy, holy, holy. That, that word holy means utterly different, utterly valuable. That's what they're, they're, they're just saying that over and over. That's the same God that when you, you lift your heart in prayer, you're talking to him. The, the same God who, who before there was anything at all, he spoke the world into existence. Galaxies, boom, there they are. That's this God that we get to talk to. And I would even mention, this is the same God we have offended over and over again rebelled against him, said, no, you won't be my God. I'll be God. I'll do what I want to do. This God has sent his son to die on the cross to pay for that sin, to pay for that rebellion, to wash us as white as snow, to give us his righteousness by believing in him. And, and because of that, we get to come into the presence of God just on, on special days, special holidays. Is this something we have to wait for heaven to do? 
It'll be better in heaven, I can tell you that. But we get to do this right here, right now. We get to come to God in prayer. And he doesn't say, hey, I've got a universe to run. Hey, you remember those mistakes you made? Don't talk to me right now. He kneels down, gets eye level with us and says, yes, what, what is it you want to talk about? I, I'm all ears. I mean, that's just the description we get of the God of the universe, the way he, he treats us, the way he listens to us. And I would say that this is one of the most overlooked or neglected areas of, of prayer and of the Christian life, that when we pray, it's not like we're reciting, um, you know, the, the declaration, not declaration, the, the pledge of allegiance to a flag. We're not just reciting words. We are talking to God. It's incredible. We're talking to God and he is listening. This is what John wants us to know. You have eternal life if you've trusted in Christ Jesus. This isn't for the, the pastor. This isn't for the missionary. This isn't for just Old Testament saints or New Testament apostles. This is for each and every Christian who has eternal life. And you can experience God in the act of prayer you say, well, I've prayed a lot of times and, and I haven't felt this. Okay, I want to give you some, what, what I think are, are some practical tips. Oops, there, there's kind of us moving up the pyramid there. Here's some practical tips, okay? When, when you come to, in prayer, remember who you are talking to. I would say one healthy way to do that is things like Isaiah 6, and that's why I was going to bring it up in this sermon. You are coming to this holy, holy, holy God. And you're coming to him on the basis of Christ Jesus' blood and forgiveness. That is who you're talking to. I mean, that, that will change things when you remember who you are talking to. And then remember, you're talking with God, not writing an essay. I mean, sometimes I, I get emotionally engaged when I'm writing, but in general, it's a, it's a separated thing. It's not a relational thing. I don't have a relationship with my computer. I don't have a relationship with that piece of paper, and I'm writing words down. That's not what you're doing in prayer. Remember that when you, I hope this doesn't uh, sound bad, when you call up God, he is on the other end. I mean, he's there listening. Yes, and it's embarrassing when we think about it how wooden and stiff our prayers are, how recited our prayers are. Father God, please uh, help me through today. Forgive me for my sins. It's like God's there like, hello? Like, are you actually, you think you're talking to someone? You know, again, I'm, I'm not trying to uh, make little of God or light of God, but you're talking to a person. You're talking to the God of the universe. You're not writing an essay. You're not reciting uh, the Pledge of Allegiance, like, this, these are just some practical ways that you, you have to be intentional about this, by the way. This is, it, it can take work. Some of you may be wired this way already, though. Some of you may, may just come to God and you just you feel it even. Like you almost physically feel God's presence. The tingles go down your back. And that's awesome. Others of you will have to work for this a little more. And that's okay. Please know it is okay. We, we won't look down and, oh, there's a lesser Christian that doesn't experience God as much as me in the act of prayer. But the good thing is, the good news is, this isn't the only way that we experience God. Not only in the act of prayer, this communing in the presence of God. The second way John gives us is a little more concrete for you who need that, who don't think as abstractly. Second, 
we experience God in the answer to prayer. This is something you can see. This is something you can feel. This is something you can watch. He says it there in, in uh, verse 15. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, and we do, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. When we pray, the God of the universe not only hears, he answers. I mean, this, this, I think I had like seven texts written just uh, for my study um, of, of times that either Jesus or James or Paul or, you know, that they say this, that when we ask, seek, and knock, God opens the door. He, he, he answers. God answers our prayers. And again, we, we thought about, wow, this is incredible that I get to step into the throne room of God as I pray to him and talk to the God of the universe. You now get to make requests of God, and, and the hand of God really moves. I mean, that is mind-blowing. That the, the sovereign God, the king of the universe, hears our requests and answers. So it's mind-blowing, but it's also experiential. Again, you get to see, you get to feel, you get to taste, you get to touch these answers, or the, yeah, these requests being answered. We get to watch as God changes our circumstances. We get to watch as God changes the world around us. And we get to watch as God changes us. Right? I, I hate to use myself um, for, for this kind of thing, but I, I just don't really have much else to go off of because my experience is my experience. But I just want to list to you some of the ways I have experienced God in prayer. Some of these are going to sound dumb, but they meant so much to me. I know that there have been times that I've, you know, been in a rush and I don't know where my keys are. And I have prayed, God, I'm at the end of myself. <laughs> Would you help me find my keys? And boom, there they are. I know I looked there. I mean, you and I have talked about that, Eric. Right? I mean, I know I looked right there on the table, but there they are. Again, that sounds silly. That sounds trite. But that, in that moment, you experience the love and care of God for you, even in just getting you to work on time or getting you to wherever. I mean, God, would you help me find my keys? Other times have been a little more serious. God, I'm anxious. Would you give me peace over this situation? God, I'm anxious, and I, I, my, my anxiety shows I'm not trusting you well enough, and I, I act out when I'm anxious in ways that I shouldn't. God, would you, would you give me peace? And then I'm, I'm telling you, the next time that subject comes up, that trouble comes up, I have this just feeling that God's got it. What, what am I worried about? I mean, this has really happened to me, and I say, wow, I am right now tasting the peace of God that surpasses all understanding. I know um, there, there, I, I can think of one time in particular that, I mean, it was just a life-changing thing um, that I prayed, God, would you grow me and my wife through this tragedy? Um, I, I guess about five years ago now, we had a, a miscarriage. And so, you know, like in that moment, we're like, we're, we're going to be a family of three, and then done. 
And I, and I remember, like, it just said, like, as we're kind of walking through that, thinking, this could either really screw us up, or, or this could be really amazing. And I remember praying to God, God, would you use this to strengthen me and Hallie to trust you, to trust your goodness? I mean, I would still say that that's just one of those marks uh, in our marriage, in our relationship, that God just completely changed the way that we think, that, that we're just, we don't get so easily shaken because we see that God is in control. And he did that during that time. God answered that prayer. Again, I, I won't keep going on and on, but I don't know how many times my circumstances have been completely out of my control. And I say, God, you got to do this. And then, boom, thing, things work out. But even more than that, I've said, God, I am completely out of control. I need you to help me. I need you to help me overcome this sin. I need you to help me reign in my flesh. And I'm far, far, far from perfect. But I will tell you, I have gotten to watch God incrementally change me to someone who loves him more and hates sin more. God has answered my prayers. And by the way, none of these things are thinking of God as a genie. I get to rub the lamp and I get what I want. No, these are all times that I've gotten to find my true joy, not necessarily in the gifts or the answers to the prayer, but in the God who answered those prayers. It was the peace of God that I got to experience. It was the care of God that I got to experience. It's the guidance of God I get to experience. It's the work of God I get to experience and that's what makes these answers to prayer truly beautiful in my life. Because, you know, like, we, we could remove God from the equation and, whew, got lucky on that one, and, you know, we just walk away. That's, that's cool. I mean, you're excited about that. You're happy. But deep joy comes from saying, God did that. God did that in my life. You say, well, I don't know that I ever see or experience God answer my prayer requests. Uh, sorry, I know I'm going to have the pyramid here again. We're working our way up. But here are some practical ways that you can do this, that you can start to experience God in the answers to prayer, not just in the act of prayer. First one is, don't just have desires, make requests. Don't just have desires, make requests because you won't experience God answering a prayer you didn't pray. You, you won't recognize it as God doing that. And I would say it may not even happen in your life the same way. Oh yes, you do not have because you do not ask, James 4, 2. There's a big difference between wanting God to do something and asking God to do something. I mean, this is probably true in your own relationships. I know in a marriage relationship, this has come up <laughs> for us. Like, I know you wanted me to do that, but don't get mad at me because you didn't ask me to do it, <laughs> you know. Uh, it's the same thing with God. Like, of course you're not going to see God answer requests if you're not asking. Second, be specific with your requests. Vague requests often uh, reap vague answers. Make it explicit in your prayer what, what, you, what the problem is, what the desire is, and what you would like to see God do. It'll be much easier to experience God when your prayer is specific because you can say, oh, there it is. He, he, he did it right there. And kind of in that same vein, 
be watchful for God to answer. Again, I mean, I'm just working off of my own life, my own experiences. I don't know how many times I've prayed for something, prayed for something, prayed for something, then finally it happens, and and I kind of chalk it up to good luck. I just move on, like, oh, cool, that worked out. That that huge situation that could have wrecked me, it worked out great. Okay, cool. Be watchful for God, expectant for God to answer, so that when he, he does it, say, that was God. The person who experiences God in, in the answer to prayer knows there is no such thing as good luck. And that if we think it's my wisdom and my abilities that pulled this off, look, e- even those things would be worthless, ineffective, deficient if God weren't answering your prayer. Make requests, specific requests, and then watch for him to answer and you will begin to experience the tangible, the concrete work of God, the hand of God, the person of God. Your prayer life will determine your experience of eternal life. Now, so far, we've kind of been talking about prayers for ourselves mainly. My needs, my circumstances, my problem, even my own heart. And let me say this very, very clearly. You should pray for yourself. You absolutely should pray about what you need. Prayer for yourself shows that you are humble under God. It shows that you're God-reliant rather than self-reliant. I need you, God. That's what prayer for yourself is. That's, that's not selfish. But what is selfish is when we only pray for ourselves. I literally read in a book last night how our, our hearts begin to get stiff and, and distorted when we're only praying for ourselves. We're only focused on ourselves. We, we, we stop experiencing God when we're only thinking about ourselves. And so we have this next point, number three. We experience God in appealing for others in prayer. We experience God in appealing for others in prayer. So we experience God in the act of prayer, the answer of prayer, and appealing for others in prayer. As as I'll show you in a moment, there is a special way, a special quality and, and amount that you will get to experience God when you pray for others. I will be straight up with you and tell you that this one is um, a little more difficult uh, in in our text because uh, John kind of throws a curveball. And so I'll read for you there, uh, verse uh, 16. He says, if anyone sees his brother sinning, sorry, committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask and God will give him life to those who commit sins that do not lead to death. So that's a positive statement. Do you see that? John's saying, here is a specific, particular way that you can be praying, that you can be experiencing God. You see a brother committing sin? Pray for him, and God will give him life. But then we see what I'm calling a neutral statement, okay? It's not positive and negative. It's positive and neutral. He says this in the last half of verse 16, There is sin that leads to death. I do not say one should pray for that. 
That's a neutral statement. He doesn't command us not to pray as though you'll be sinning against God if you pray. But he says, I, I do not say that you should pray for that. So that's why this is going to be more difficult. I'm going to do my best here. And I'll, I'll just tell you uh, very bluntly, like as far as the nature of the sin that leads to death, this is highly debated and even in my own mind, I, I still haven't been able to wrap my mind around a specific. There it is, sin that leads to death. I can tell you that if we confess our sins, he, Jesus, is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. So to some degree, this sin that leads to death isn't a particular sin, like just some really filthy, really bad sin. It is, at the very least any sin that's not confessed and, and, and repented of God, a, a life of sin that is not confessed and forgiven in Christ. But what we're moving on here, and this is just why it's difficult, because we are told to pray for others when we're walking in sin. We are told to pray for the lost people around us. And so it's very hard to discern the, the exact identity of this sin that leads to death, And so I want to speak in generalities here, okay? John doesn't explain it, so I'm not going to explain specifically what this is. I would say that there are times that our prayers will be ineffective. I mean, isn't that what, it, what that would mean to say? I would not say, or I do not say that you should pray for that. I mean, you can pray for it, but it will be ineffective. Remember, he has just promised God hears you and you have the requests you have asked of him. He's just promised that God will answer your prayers. But here he's saying there are times your prayers will be ineffective. And it won't be because of any sin in you. It'll just be because that's the way it is in God's plan and purpose. You say, well, why does he throw this in here? This is so weird. Here, here is why I believe, again, just doing my best here. Here is why I believe that John put this in here. Because, again, he's just said God will answer your prayers. But there will be these times that God doesn't answer these prayers. So, so wouldn't that make God a liar? Well, well, no, it wouldn't make God a liar because he has told us there are times. There, there are things that you, you shouldn't necessarily pray for because it will be ineffective. And this kind of just gives us a category of the wisdom of God, the will of God, the plan and purpose of God. That he is God and we are not, that he sees the whole picture before him and we see but a very small piece of the puzzle. And so there will be times that God will have to say, no, that, that's not best. More often in my life, God says, that's not best, but here, here's how we're going to do things differently, right? <laughs> like he, he changes uh, the answer, but it's always good. In fact, it's always better than the thing we requested. And I think what, what John is trying to do here is he's trying to keep us from becoming discouraged and disillusioned in prayer. Have you ever had a prayer request that God hasn't answered or didn't answer? I have. In those moments, 
we may be tempted to say, God does not answer prayer. Even worse, he said he will, so that makes him a liar. Maybe God's not even good. I mean, I've watched people's lives um, basically crumble through this before. Anger turns to bitterness, turns to wavering faith at best because God didn't answer prayer. And I'm not making light of that. I mean, they had big, serious prayer requests that God didn't answer. But we need a category for God is God and I am not. We need a category for God knows and sees everything and I do not. I mean, this happens with our kids, right? Dad, can I drink some of that green liquid in the garage? AKA antifreeze. No. Ah, my dad's such a killjoy. No, am I? Am I at that moment a killjoy because I won't let my kids eat or drink uh, the antifreeze they asked for? No. I just see things differently. I see more. I have more knowledge than them. And I will tell you right now, the gap between me and my children is about this big. The gap between me and God, (laughs) there's no limit. So how much more can we trust God? And so rather than discouraging you from prayer, that God sometimes may not answer according to your request uh, the way you hope he would, this is meant to encourage prayer, that we are praying to a sovereign, wise God of the universe, and very often we can know he will answer. And, and John gives us that example right there in verse 16. You see the, the upper one. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask and God will give him life. I mean, this is saying that in response to your prayer, God will bring back this wandering brother who, who is walking in sin. I mean, this is, this is tremendous. Again, I, I want you to feel the weight of the things that we are talking about. That, that, that Dave can be a part of my life. That, that I can be a part of Sonny's life in a very ultimate level by, by the way we pray for one another. But all of us. God's hand moves when we pray. Not always exactly the way we want, not always the way we like, but we can trust him in those and be watching for him to answer. I'll give you uh, just an example of this from my own life, the way that I've seen this, um, this praying for others. I mean, I've just got too many examples, but I'll give you one. I I remember a number of years ago, I had a a friend who, uh, he claimed to be a Christian and... um, May, may well have been a Christian, but he had wandered into sin and away from God. You've probably seen this in your own life. But I had a friend, he wandered into sin, away from God. And I'm not saying he just committed a sin. I'm saying he, he settled into a lifestyle pattern of sin, unrepentant sin. I mean, and I can still remember like pretty vividly agonizing in prayer over this guy. God, would you please turn him back to you? I, I, I know that, that, that if he continues down this path, he will ultimately be lost. He will spend eternity in hell under your punishment, your just punishment. And I don't want that for him, God. I, I, I want him to know you. I want him to experience you. But he's being deceived by sin. For two years... I prayed for this guy, and I talked with this guy, 
But here's what I want to point out to you. Even though it was difficult and I was agonizing in prayer, I was experiencing deep communion with God as I prayed for him. In those moments, I felt the compassion of God for that guy. I mean, he, he gave, like, I already wanted it for him, but when I start praying to God, all of a sudden my, my emotions get even more stirred. And I say, where is this love for this guy even coming from? And even the, the hatred of sin and its destructive effects, I, I, I just hate it even more. And I'm like, this is God's hatred of sin I'm feeling right now. And I just would have this deep communion with God, experiencing God. And then as things went on, I remember, you know, I'd be praying for opportunities. I'd be praying for words to speak. I'd be praying for wisdom. And, and these things would happen, right? Like uh, this, this opportunity would happen. For a little while, he didn't want to hang out. <laughs> We'd make opportunities happen. Um, and then God would give me the words to speak. And I'm telling you, they were the perfect words to speak. You know, you could convert a tree with these words, he feels like. But this guy would have remained unconvinced. I mean, but God was answering prayer, though. I'm telling you, like these words, I say, these are God's words coming out of my mouth. This, this gospel truth, the goodness of God, the salvation in Christ alone, the, the satisfaction of knowing him. I'd be telling him about these things. And God was answering those prayers, and I was experiencing these miracles. But the guy wouldn't turn from sin. He kept on sinning. I kept on praying. Finally, one day this guy comes up to me out of the blue and just says, I did it, man. I'm done with sin. Like, I, I mean, not done with sin, but you know, I, I'm turning to God fully. I'm done wasting my life, wasting my time in these sinful things. I want to chase God like you've been talking about. I, I want to know God like you've been talking about. And so whether or not he got saved there or just returned to God, I, I don't know exactly. But... I thought it was so funny, by the way, that it wasn't after one of my amazing conversations. Do you think God was trying to keep me from a big head? I think he was showing me, I, I'm doing this. It was, it was, he actually went to a sermon, one sermon, and God did it in his life after two years of me talking to him. But God was showing me very clearly, I did this, not you. I'm doing this in answer to your prayer, and yeah, I've, I've allowed you to plow up the fields and sow seeds, but I'm the one who gives growth. I got to experience that. But you know what? There's one more thing that happens uh, when you pray for others. I got to experience my friend experiencing God. Does that make sense to you? He was chasing sin. His heart was foul, thinking he's having fun, thinking he's finding satisfaction, but it was empty. All of a sudden, he starts drinking from the well of God, tasting him, enjoying him, obeying him. And I'll tell you, he has become... And has been for years and years one of my most encouraging Christians that, that points me to God, that helps me to experience God. His energy, his love, his zeal for God is absolutely contagious. To this day, 10 years out, whatever we are. And so, when you turn outward, it actually multiplies your experience of God rather than diminishing it. And that is how we get this. Not the only way we experience God, but one of the ways we experience God. You know that you have eternal life, then you engage in the act of prayer. I'm talking to God, and he's really listening. Then you watch for God to answer 
You, you, you make specific enough requests that God can answer those, and you get to say, there it was. This is amazing. I got to see God do this. And then rather than having a, a very small, sad world, we look outward at those around us. And this verse talked about the brother committing sin, but pray for the lost. Pray for uh, those who are struggling. Pray for, for, for one another. Pray for those even with illnesses. or things. Turn outward. See what other needs are. And your experience of God will be multiplied. I don't want us to walk away from this knowing the path and not walking down it. It will be very easy for us to, to go through this next week just like the last week. And then if someone were to ask you next Sunday, how have you experienced God this week? You'd have nothing to say. I want you to join me in committing to at least this one way that John has given us to experience God. Pray. Speak to the God of the universe. Make requests of him. Watch him answer and even Put others in those prayers. And I'm telling you, you will experience God. We might experience him in many different ways, but we will all experience God if we have eternal life. That's what John wants you to know. But, but it's up to you what you're going to do with it. Are you going to engage or not? My prayer is that he will, and that's what I'm going to pray right now. I'm actually doing point number three right now. I'm going to pray for others. I'm going to appeal for you, and I, I can't wait to see the multiplying effect as your zeal and excitement for God goes up. Let's pray now. Father God, we acknowledge that you are glorious beyond compare. You are worthy of all honor and glory, yet you listen when we talk to you. God, thank you. Thank you that based on the blood of Jesus, I can come into your presence. We can come into your presence. God, help us not to neglect this amazing gift. This amazing gift that allows us to experience you, to, to have our, not only our, our minds changed, but our hearts changed, and to know you relationally. God, I, I envy Moses, who the Bible says talk to you face to face, but the fact is we all get to do that. We get to see you do miracles. We get to be a part of what you're doing in other people's lives. What an honor. What a privilege. God, would you give us a passion for prayer? Now that we understand it a little better, give us a new passion for prayer and change the patterns of our lives. That we would set aside time to pray. That we would actually engage, that we wouldn't be so distracted by our phones, our TVs, our computers, our tablets, that we don't connect with the God of the universe, that we don't get to see you work. God, give us a passion for prayer and change our patterns. This I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together.